Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, happy Mom Day to all you moms today. We're so glad to have you here. People ask me all the time, Donald, do you get nervous when you speak? And I say, absolutely. Like, honestly, I'm always scared to death when I, when I make my way up here. I sit on that pew, my, my palms are sweating. My, I'm just like, I start to shake and I'm like, I just wanna call in sick. And, um, but I get more nervous when I know who's in the audience. And so knowing that there's a room filled with mothers, it does make me a little nervous. You know why? Because moms are the people who have the most influence of anybody in the world on people. You remember that slogan that says, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. That's a profound impact that a mom has on generations. The influence is second to none. And so yes, I admit this morning, I'm a little bit nervous uh, to this, speak to this audience because the role of mom is extremely important. You know, when you read quotes like this, no nation is greater than its mothers for they are the makers of men. You realize how powerful and influential moms really are. And you don't wanna get it wrong because it affects generations. The whole nation, I think, can be shaken at its foundations. The role of mom is multifaceted. You train your children and teach them and get them ready to leave. Your whole job is getting, getting them out of the house, which I know some of you are saying hallelujah <laughs> right now. And as I scan across the audience, I realize that there are scores of moms here today who are not shooting to be the average mom of the year. You really wanna hit it out of the park. And you can be, I believe, because I think God has uniquely designed and wired you to do what you do. And as already said, Tisha just touched on, I realize Mother's Day is, you know, it's a difficult day for some because for some, this is the first Mother's Day without their mom. And so it is challenging. And then of course, I realize for some, you know, you have prayed and desired to be a mom and it hasn't happened yet. And so it's hard. And I realize some people don't even come to church because it's so painful uh, to come on a day like this. So we're very aware of all the different dynamics and emotions that are here this morning, but we are really glad to have you here. It's hard to believe but four weeks ago, a month ago, we started a series called Flawed. And one of the things that we are discovering is the Bible is filled with people who have flaws. People just like uh, you and me. People who really genuinely have issues like you and me. And one of the things you gotta love about the Bible, they give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, they give you the real stuff. Nobody wants fake news. They want to know what's real, man. Give it to me real. I think that's why um, uh, reality television is so popular. You know, you have Survivor, The Amazing Race, uh, Big Brother, The Voice, Britain's Got Talent. Uh, uh, what are some of those other shows out there? American Ninja Warrior, uh, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. That's drama right there for you. 
And the Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible keeps it very real, and it really does kind of show us the good and the bad. And week number one, we looked at that notorious crook, probably the most notorious crook in all of the New Testament, a man who was despised by his uh, neighbors and his countrymen, and he had an encounter with Jesus, and everything changed. Like everything changed in his life. His name was Zacchaeus. In fact, I think there was such a radical change in life, people in, in town probably thought there was an imposter. That's how much change took place in his life. And we walked away that Sunday believing that when you have an encounter with God, you cannot remain the same. Things change in your life. And then week number two, we looked at a man who was, who was hopeless and helpless and lonely and dying and disenfranchised and disfigured and disformed, a cast away from society. And he breaks the law, and he walks into a city with a very contagious disease, leprosy. And as everybody's trying to get away from him, Jesus walks towards him. And he asks the question to Jesus, he says to Jesus, I, if you're willing, I know you could heal me. And Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. And we walked away that week with this powerful truth that you do not have to clean up your life before you come to God. So many people believe, I gotta, I gotta get rid of my addictions, I gotta get rid of my struggles and all my, my quirks that I have before I can actually come to him. But that was a powerful truth that you don't have to clean up your life before you come to God. That's God's job. And then last week, we looked at the story of a wild child, a son who had caused so much hurt and pain for his mom and dad caused a lot of shame on his family. And one day this son, this wild child, after he's lost everything, he's hit rock bottom, he's lost it all, the Bible says, with wine and women, he's aged, he's not the child he was when he left home. And he comes back not knowing if his father would even speak to him. And the Bible says from a far distance, the dad sees him coming and runs towards him. And one of the things we walked away with last week was that God's grace is always greater than your sin. No matter how far you find yourself in a pit, there's a powerful truth, God's grace is greater than your sin. And today, we're gonna step back into the Old Testament. Now before you take your Bibles and before you, we begin to read this particular mom story, let me set the stage. The nation of Israel is in a moral tailspin. They are in serious trouble. I mean, they got big problems. They're leaderless and they're floundering in direction. And the story takes place during the time of the judges. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, there's a phrase that is common all the way through the book. And that phrase is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, if it feels good, well then I'm gonna do it. That was the motto. And this is what's taking place here. In fact, the period that we're looking at, uh, if you remember the Judge uh, Samson, remember the he-man with a she-weakness, the biblical bodybuilder? Well, he's just died. And the nation of Israel is hydroplaning out of control. And then we find our story. And in the middle of this country's turmoil, in the middle of mayhem, God taps a woman named Hannah on the shoulder. 
And she becomes a mom who, well, a mother to one of the greatest men who ever walked this earth. One of the greatest leaders of Israel. And what's so amazing, all of her life she wanted a child, a son, and then she gives the son away after all that praying. And we're going to look at her story uh, this morning. Her name, by the way, means favored one, provided for. But as we approach the story, we're going to discover she's not feeling that at all, at all. She's not feeling favored. She's not feeling provided for. And so anytime the Bible gives a lot of ink, a lot of space to a person, a character, it's like we need to press the pause button and look at her life. And she's been given a lot of space. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Samuel, please. First Samuel. We're going to check out her story. First Samuel chapter 1. And actually, we're going to pick it up in verse 2 because I can't pronounce all those names in verse 1. Okay? <laughs> 1 Samuel, chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Elkanah had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Akana to sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downcast? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will even be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I... I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. 
Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Jump down to verse 24. And after the child was weaned, because she's now gotten pregnant, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Right off the very beginning, right at the very beginning of the story, we find a flawed situation. It's a flawed home. We have two wives. Anytime you have two wives in the same home, there's going to be consequences. So we already find out that Elkanah is not the perfect guy. He's a good man, the Bible says, but he's not the perfect guy. He's not the perfect husband. It's a flawed situation, and we see that right up the front. And, and Hannah doesn't really dig the fact that her husband has another wife on the side. And so you have Elkanah right here, and then you have Hannah over here, and you have Peninnah over here. You know what? I'm just going to call her Penny because it's so much easier for me. Okay, we'll just call her Penny. And uh, what we find out is wife number one is very jealous of wife number two. And wife number two is jealous of wife number one. In fact, Hannah is jealous because this lady has all these children. But Penny is jealous of Hannah because it seems like all of her husband's affection is poured on him. And wife number two, Peninnah, is the one who's actually given the children that's going to carry on the family name. And yet there's Hannah, Hannah, so insecure about herself. So you kind of see the situation. Hannah's in a, in a tough situation. It's a flawed situation. Her family is not perfect. In fact, I don't think this is what she at all, that was her big dream and hope for, where she finds herself. You know, as a young girl, I'm sure her dream wasn't to be in a rival situation. But yet, that's what we find. She's in a very stressful, demanding situation. Her married life, her family life is flawed. And then in verse 6, as we just read there, the, the plot clots. Because her rival, the Bible says, provokes her to misery, irritates her day after day after day. The, uh, Penny knows, knows where Hannah is very sensitive she knows the nerve to keep poking at that's going to cause the pain in her life. In fact, I can almost imagine this conversation going on when Penny says to Hannah, I don't know why you continue worshiping and crying out to the Lord that God doesn't love you. Because if he loved you, he would give you children. Obviously, he doesn't love you. You must have some great sin in your life. And, and Hannah, you're not getting any younger. Your days are almost over. 
The Bible also talks about that yearly they would make the trip to the, to the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice. And I can just picture uh, Penny saying to Hannah again, get up, come on, it's time to make our yearly trek. It's time for you to bawl your eyes out again and make a spectacle of yourself. Of course, she'd only say that as she was holding all of her children's hands. So here you have a devout family with a problem. They worship God, yet even in the midst of a worship service, which we just read here, there's tension. And the wife gets up so upset, goes out to the car and just cries her out, eyes out and doesn't come back in for the potluck. That's the situation that we have here. And so wife number two, Penny, is quite abusive. Every time she speaks, it's like a knife going in the back of Hannah. And in the midst of all the madness, in the midst of all the mayhem, Hannah has this vertical connection with God. In the midst of all the problems, the Bible says, Hannah prayed. She prayed. By the way, just as a side note, mom, if you really want to be the wonder mom, the ultimate mom, the great mom, and I know you do, Honestly, I really believe to the core of my being, it begins with prayer. It starts with prayer. It starts with connecting with God, loving him, spending time with him. And Hannah knew that. The Bible says she's a woman of prayer. And I know some people say to me, why is prayer so important? Donald, you don't understand. I am so busy as a mom. I really don't have time. By the time I get up in the morning, I get the kids fed and we're off to school. And I go to my job and I come home and pick up the kids and run to sport. There's no time, which I would have to say. You're too busy not to pray. Your job is way too important not to be seeking God's wisdom for your children. Well, back to the story here. In 1 Samuel there, in verses 10 and 11, it says that she's greatly distressed and she prays to the Lord. She's praying for her son. And she makes this vow, Lord, if you would give me a son, like if you give me a son, I promise I will give them back to you. Lord, if, if this would be your will to give me a child, I will make sure he's your child. So here she is. She has no kids. And this has been going on for years, by the way. I believe this, this prayer has been going on for a long time. She's poured out her heart to God. And she's there. And then the high priest sees this woman over on the side praying, and he's convinced she's drunk, and he's going over basically to throw her out of the, te the, te the temple and says, stop bringing your booze in here. What kind of lady are you being here coming to pray drunk? And she says, I, I'm not drunk. She says, but I am deeply troubled. I'm just pouring out my heart here to God. And then she explains to the priest what she's praying for. I find it interesting when she's praying, there's this idea like, God, it, you're the one, like you're the one I understand that's in control. You're the one who can actually answer this prayer. I realize the situation I'm in right now, this is how you have it, this is your will this current time, but God, I, if you would be willing to give me a child. When I, when I hear her pray, God, this is in your hands. It's not my will, but your will be be done but God this is what I really would like I, I think it's a tough prayer I think it's a tough prayer to say God I know this you know it's all according to your will but if you would but I I, I guess I can get through if, if it's not 
I don't know about you, but I find that very hard to prayer because you're anything like me. When I pray to God, it's like, I need it now. God, you understand? It might not be your timing, but this is my timing. And really, I'm in a great fix here, and I need you to step in right now. Now is the time. And Hannah just, it seems like for years now, has been pouring out her heart to God. And in verse 11, it says that I'll give him to the Lord. I will literally dedicate this child to God for all the days of his life. And the Bible says she gets pregnant and she has a son. And I love this. She names him Samuel, which means God hears. I prayed and God heard me. I love that. I prayed and God heard me. And she brings the child back to the tabernacle and says, this is the Lord's child. As much as I want this child for me, I recognize this is the Lord's child. You know, children, I I heard this a while ago and I've never forgotten it. Children were never given to us to build our lives around them. Children were given to us so we'd build their lives around God. And that's honestly why we invest so much uh, financials and uh, resources and people resources into our our children's program because we believe that to the core of our being that we are to train children around the things of God. That's why we invest so much in youth ministry. That's why, like yesterday, when we had a parent huddle, it's to help parents to be able to, to really help them mold and shape that next generation, that they'll, they'll wrap their lives around God. You know, when I read through her story a number of times this week, I, I thought to myself, I wonder how many women here at Temple have prayed for something that God calls good, but he hasn't answered. You know, maybe you, you prayed for, for a husband and this is, God just hasn't answered. Or, or you prayed for a child and you've prayed for years and nothing, it's infertility, it's miscarriages, it's failed adoptions. And yet you know the Lord calls children a good thing. And if it's a good thing, why wouldn't God want a good thing for me? That's a good question. Because we we say God is a good God. He's in charge of everything. So how do we deal with that? First of all, I just want to say, I pray that if if you have a troubled spirit because of disappointment, that you would find comfort actually here in the presence of God's people, in the presence of God. And as... As I read through this story, I was thinking to myself, okay, God, it's a great story. Is this just part of history? You know, interesting story. Some lady had struggled with infertility. Her name is Hannah. You bless her, she has a child. Great story. But God, is is there something there that we're not seeing? And then I was reminded, Jesus, when he's on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, he's talking to two men who have just come back from the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and um, they're, they're so downcast, they're just downcast, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes along and begins walking with them, and he says, what's the problem, guys? And he just says, where have you been? Like, our, our, our dreams have been shattered. The one who we put all of our hope in is no longer. We thought he was the one but I guess he isn't. And then it says in Luke that Jesus opens up the Old Testament and begins to point 
how every single story points to him. Like every story of the Old Testament points to him. And then I realized it's all about him. It's always been about him, and it always will be about him. So from this story, I'm thinking to myself, how does this point us to Jesus? Because this is not a movie script, by the way. This is not a fictitious story. This is a real-life situation. In fact, this is our life. This is our life. We find ourselves barren and empty and full of disappointments and wandering in the wilderness. But then God changed everything. Like God changed everything for Hannah. God allowed Hannah to receive. Thus, by the way, in that day and age, when you didn't have a child, it was looked on that you had, you had great sin in your life. That, God was judging you back in those days. And so when, when, when God allowed Hannah to conceive, basically what was taking place here is her shame was being reversed. She was given a new position as a mom. And isn't that exactly what God does for us? He removes our sin and our shame and he gives us this new position in Christ. That's what, that's what happens when, when you have an encounter with God. Because God changes everything. This new position in Christ is like you are a joint heir. You, you don't get just a, a portion, you get a share of it all that he has. And I realized this morning some here, because I've talked to you, some of you feel beaten down and so disappointed that you find it very hard to trust God when you pray. I look at Hannah, the Bible says she fasted, she worshiped, she prayed for years. Like year after year after year after year, she cried out to God. And so I, I get it. I understand that it can be challenging to trust God. But here's Hannah in the lowest point in her life. It doesn't get any worse for her than this. And she offers up a request that she's probably asked for a thousand times. And God hears her. The Bible says she prayed and God heard. And the thing is, with, with Hannah, her faithfulness to be a worship of God, even during those moments when, honestly, life hurt. Like, like honestly, it was for her, it was painful. But even during her faithfulness of worshiping God, when life made no sense, I find it interesting, when she finally did conceive, she gave a birth to a son who would have an impact on an entire nation. Her faithfulness impacted an entire nation. And in the life of Hannah, we see that God knows our story from the very beginning to the very end. And that everything actually has a purpose. And that when you trust him, when you put your trust in him, it's never misplaced. You actually can trust him. You can trust him. In fact, I heard this the other day, trust is the epicenter of a healthy relationship. Like, trust is at the center of any kind of relationship. 
And it's true, you maybe I want to pray, God, I don't understand you. I, I, don't even, I don't even know where you're taking me. This makes no sense to me. I, but even in my uncertainties, I'll, I'm going to trust you. See, the, the fact is, we see such a small view of life. We do. And God has this massive design that he's putting together. And we don't see it often, this massive. We just see this little spot here. And this little spot seems to really hurt. But I want to tell you, you can trust God. Even when it seems all you can see is hurt and pain. Because he's up to something. He's up to something. God is always weaving your story of your life to bring you to the point where you'll trust the King of Kings. Think about that. God has woven your story to bring you to the point where you'll trust him. Where you'll trust him with your life. And I understand that sometimes we hold on to things so tightly, we're not willing to give them up but in reality, he's already, it's already in his hands. He's already been holding these things. And so this morning, as we just kind of briefly look at this lady who finds herself in a flawed situation, number one, it's not what she dreamed. This was not her dream life. But even in the midst of the heartache, the Bible says she, she prayed, she worshiped. In fact, it says she even fasted. And all of that. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to do that, is it? When life really hurts. But she continued to, to worship God even though nothing made sense. Believing and trusting that he is working a tapestry that is so beautiful that's beyond our understanding. And she was just a part of that tapestry. I want to tell you this morning, God is a good, good father. Like, he is a good, good father. And I know life not, doesn't always, is not always good, but he's always good. And I want to tell you one more time, you can trust him. Like, you can trust God. Even when life is, it just seems to be crumbling and falling apart, you can trust him. Because I want to tell you, he's always at work. He's always working, listen to this, for your good. Like when you think about that, he's working for his glory and for you. He's always working for his glory and your good. So even in the midst of when life's hurt and stinks, you can know the truth that he's actually working for your good. It doesn't seem good at the time. I understand that. I get it. It hurts. You can trust him that he's working for your good. You can trust him. He is a good, good father. Let's pray. Father, I, I recognize our time this morning is short, but I do want to say that we love you. And Father, this morning I, I understand that on a day like today, on Mother's Day, for some, this is a very tough day. Very hard. 
especially as I think of those who wish that their mothers were here today. And then, Lord, I, I recognize, too, that there are those who don't really have a great relationship with their mom. And it does hurt. It's painful. And then there are, of course, Lord, those who hear that so desperately want to be a mom. And for some reason, it hasn't happened yet. So for those, Lord, who are heavy-hearted today, I, I pray that you would just remind them again that even in life's disappointments, they can trust you. They can trust you. I pray, Lord, that you would breed in them this confidence that God is at work for their good, for their personal good, God is at work. Lord, I thank you that as we meet here this morning, you're here. Your presence is here. And we pray, Lord, for those who perhaps are here this morning who have never had actually an encounter with, with Jesus. We recognize that their story has been woven together to bring them here for such a time as this. And so, Lord, for those who may, maybe they don't know Jesus, and maybe life has thrown them a lot of hurts, I pray, Lord, that they would open up their heart today, that they could trust you. When life seems to be hydroplaning out of control, they can trust you. When life seems full of madness and mayhem, they can trust you. And then, Lord, for those of us who do know you as personal Savior, I think sometimes our, our faith wavers. Sometimes we, we lose our faith in you. We, we don't seem to trust you like we once did because it just seems life has gotten really hard. And so, Lord, reassure us again this morning that we have a good, good Father who's always working for our good, our personal good, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.